0: Hey guys, good evening and welcome to another episode, anchor episode from Mr. Ruelta, his U.S. history class. Here to talk about the pursuit of perfection, chapter 12 from your text. So remember this chapter focuses on the second great awakening, its roles kind of in the north and the south, and then the reform movements that kind of spawn uh, from that religious uh, revival that takes place kind of in the mid-1800s. So let's get started. All right, guys, uh, so the first kind of sections focus on the rise of evangelicism or evangelicalism, uh, sorry. So what you have because of the separation of church and state is churches now are kind of uh, on equal footing competing for converts and uh, Protestants. And in the South, sorry, this has a big role with the camp meeting or revival meetings, right? These are the ones that we examine in the text uh, where we saw people camped outside and hundreds of people kind of gathered around preachers and gathered around these church leaders A key thing is this, you know, for a lot of frontier settlers, provided a kind of social source and a place where they could, uh, you know, have certain church services done, right? Whether it be weddings, baptisms, things that otherwise they would not have uh, available to them because of their uh, living conditions. Um, And again, that's kind of the main thing with the South is that's the role that those kind of camps and that Second Great Awakening has in the South is more of kind of a localized impact. Uh, Again, the North will be quite different. In the north, what we have basically in the beginning is a kind of battle going on between kind of an old guard, Protestant leaders, and then the new kind of rising evangelicals, the new uh, type of Christians that are stepping away from that kind of predestination, right, that our um, sort of Christian destinies already determined, to one more where now someone has the freedom to choose to express their faith. And, you know, it's, it's not so much an exclusive club. It's kind of up to each individual believer or person. So some of the key names are... Timothy Dwight, who's kind of uh, one of these uh, early kind of uh, leaders, right? And, you know, there was a lot of reaction against enlightenment and that view of deism where people did believe in God but believed that basically God had kind of retired from human affairs or worldly affairs. You know, the key leaders are Nathaniel Taylor, Lyman Beecher, and Charles Finney, maybe the one who had the most impact with his preachings and teachings in upstate New York. All right, guys, so the key thing in the north is going to be those northern revivals and that whole movement stimulates a lot of reform, especially from the middle class, from middle-sized cities and towns in the north. And again, temperance being an example of that, right, that from most of the information we have about a 50% reduction in alcohol consumption in that time period. And the key thing is looking at those, you know, these are Christians who now want to have some sort of impact politically and think they can kind of fix society's uh, issues, alcohol being just one of those issues. Uh, we have some other change of dynamics kind of socially, right, within the family, with uh, the importance of a child and child rearing as being kind of essential function of the family, uh, no longer seen as kind of an economic unit as it was in the early colonial period. Uh, again, we also see a different role for women now, right, because we're stepping away from that kind of whole family unit working on the farm and working on that one economic kind of goal. Uh, we see a little bit of division in the home, with right, the men kind of operating outside the home in whatever business they um, partake in, and the women being kind of, a, having their sphere kind of in the more domestic area, right? The home and stuff like that. Again, there's some other stuff, right? The, uh, no doubt still like a patriarchal society, but, um, the view of marriage for love kind of becomes accepted socially. Um, you know, one thing that's kind of important to understand about the view of women and the role in the home is, you know, the consumers, uh, the consumers that will kind of rise from middle and upper class women. Uh, they're dedicated to the home right, that they keep us a lot of ways of religion, education. And then they're going to be really important because they have kind of the sort of time and the energy to dedicate to a lot of these reform movements. So That's one key part where I probably uh, could express that in class a little bit better. All right guys, uh, see some of the other stuff can uh, uh, more emphasis on the child right. We talked about we talked about toys being now marketed for children, right? Books being marketed for children. Um, you know, kind of changing the guard away from corporal punishment, right? People hitting their kiddos to more kind of shaming and more sort of emotional uh, sort of punishment sometimes for misbehavior and those things. And also birth rates going down considerably, right? From about uh, you know, seven kiddos or so, but to in the beginning of the 1800s down to about five or so in the uh, sort of mid-1800s. No, sorry, not seven kiddos, but overall size of the family uh, going from seven to about five or so all right guys some other things uh, kind of going on um in a lot of ways all the different kind of reform movements institutionally are all kind of represented with the family right whether it be asylums schools all these things and schools is a good example of that so we have their great expansion from 1820 to 1850 again the idea was to give an avenue for you know better social conditions and better future for especially the working class and you know the idea was for middle class reformers was uh, you know, to, to kind of give that opportunity, right, for, uh, that otherwise might not be there. So Horace Mann is the key kind of lawmaker, lawyer from Massachusetts. That's going to be key, you know, he's going to argue it's important for immigrants, poor children from, uh, to kind of learn from their space, hopefully improve, improve their families lot. And, you know, working class people are going to be kind of torn from this because of course they do want more, uh, chances for their children, but they're also being denied because of these school laws, right? They're going to be pretty, uh, enforced pretty soon of wage earners, of people that could you know, uh, contribute to the household income and so forth. Uh, moving on to the kind of the asylum movement, uh, we have uh, the view of kind of the asylum and prisons now. Uh, things that are going to be questioned are going to be those, of course, uh, uh, conduct at these different places, right? How exactly are they helping? So the view of more instead of punishment, kind of these being places of rehabilitation. Uh, you know, the idea is instead of just having a place to kind of put these unwanted to society, is to try to reform those, right? Try to in, in improve conditions, try to hire people who are at least kind of specially trained to deal with people with certain conditions. And again, same thing with the family, right? Just like school providing in some ways a family sort of role, right with routine and those things. Same thing for these uh, places like the asylum, the almshouses, and the uh, uh, prisons as well. Uh, again, name you need to know for that, Dorothea Dix. All right, guys the anti-slavery movement again there's many parts of it right from the american colonization society that sought to kind of buy back slaves and eventually send them uh, to the colony of liberia to the role of uh, someone like william lloyd garrison right the very rich northerner who founded the first uh, anti-slavery newspaper in 1831 called the liberator and then founded an anti-slavery society in the north in 1833 uh, but these are going to be pretty powerful they're going to instill a lot of change eventually and of course, he's going to be very despised by the South because of his anti slavery uh, sort of message and all the movement kind of that will be gathered around that. All right, guys, it's, it's important to also kind of note the uh, former slaves uh, are going to be a big part of this right movement as well. Uh, people like Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth. Again, uh, newspapers, books, pamphlets will be publicized, uh, you know, the anti slavery movement, and get it out there to a wider audience. And then, of course, the role of both whites and blacks in the Underground Road, helping people escape the South and hopefully eventually reach freedom. Uh, One good connection kind of towards the end of the chapter is the abolitionism to women's rights. So the idea is, you know, abolitionism in a lot of ways was kind of like gateway reform movement to uh, women's participation. And then, you know, through their experiences within that movement, they're going to see more of that kind of women's equality and the troubles they're going to have. So this will feed into later on the Seneca Falls Convention, right in 1848. Uh, and the sort of beginning of the mobilization for women's rights and women's suffrage that you know, will take many decades to accomplish but in a lot of ways that's the early kind of birth of it uh, during those times. Uh, the end of the chapter focuses on these radical ideas and these utopian communities that pop up, especially in the Midwest um, but we have you know, some reformers basically from Europe that uh, cause these kind of new communities in the U.S. to arise and try to pursue perfection, a perfect society where people are treated equally, where they have uh, you know tolerance and so forth. Again, some will be mildly successful, but you know most will kind of eventually end uh, their uh, you know their experiments. but we have the shakers, we have the Oneida community in New York. again, these range from Texas all the way through to I mean, parts of Maine Iowa places like that. and in the end uh, focuses a little bit on some of the transcendentalist writers like Emerson Thoreau and some of these other uh, in, in these uh, other figures in the movement and stuff um i hope this helps a little bit guys you know i kind of sped through it kind of fast and i apologize but remember the key thing is you know, the second great awakening right which begins in the south but has much greater impact in the north and the uh you know uh, how it's going to lead to changes in addressing things like temperance prisoner reform these bigger issues um, that's all i got for you have a great night and we'll talk to you next time